welcome to the Auto Week podcast. The new ones. Yeah, we're here with uh, Patrick. Hello. Who you don't know. You don't. Uh, Matt, which you do know. A little bit. And Andy, which I think you know, but you probably don't. You don't know you know me. Reasonable. Yeah, this here, you might have heard a different music, or you might not have heard any music, depending on how uh, licensing goes this past this week. But uh, we're entering a new era, and we, I figured we would get uh, our new uh, head honcho on here, old uh, Patrick, to talk about, uh, talk about himself and what he's doing with cars. And why cars? Why cars all the time? Wesley, you're asking the hard-hitting questions over here right out of the gate. No softballs. <laughs> not on uh, the Odd Week podcast. Um, well, yeah, I'm uh, taking over uh, as editorial director here at Auto Week, and uh, you know, you guys seem pretty damn cool. Been out here in Detroit a couple times now, and I'm, I don't know, I'm really uh, psyched about being able to uh, to work with y'all. But um, yeah, so my background, I'm uh, not a Detroiter. I'm from uh, New York. I uh, grew up on Long Island. Uh, my dad was a car guy, which made me a car guy, and. I've been working in magazines pretty much, uh, you know, my whole professional life. I worked at Maxim for a long time, which was uh, really where I started covering cars, you know, because that's always, there's the girl story, there's the beer story, and then there's the car story. So that's kind of how I got bitten by the uh, car journalist bug. And uh, now I'm just, uh, yeah, ready to uh, to work with you guys. And we're going to, we have going to, there's going to be so much stuff coming at you um podcast wise uh, the site's gonna be improved vastly and uh I've, yeah. he I've heard rumors there will be a search function that works on the website a search well, function let's, let's not go crazy okay <laughs> well I've, I've just heard rumors these are these are if you go to autoweek.com you might see some bugs right now that will hopefully be resolved in the, oh uh, yes in this in the switch over let's just say that we have a guy named vlad taking care of all of this and this is not a joke that's no. his real name yeah. and if you have a guy named vlad taking care of anything it gets taken care it gets of. taken care of uh one way or another the problem will be solved <laughs> um but yeah so talk to us about what you have in mind for these podcast things i know we talked about them a little bit last week but uh we were none of us were in charge then and i believe you're the man in charge to talk about uh what what some ideas for the uh listeners well you have, you have coming i think that um you know we're just going since uh you know, the magazine is no more. We're going to take a lot of the same stuff that you're used to seeing uh, in the magazine and obviously online and just translate it to podcast form. So, you know, for example, motorsports got to have its own podcast. Um, it's such a, you know, big part of the brand. And we have, you know, truly the experts in the field um, or on the track. So uh, I think that that's one that uh, we're certainly going to do right off the bat. And Matt here will be a uh, spearheading that right Matt? absolutely <laughs> matt a man of few words see the thing about that the uh, evolving podcast lineup it's great for me i've tried reading the magazine while driving not ideal <laughs> reading the competition side of the magazine while driving it has almost led to accidents yeah it's, it's unfortunate or even on the treadmill it's not the easiest it's, thing it's, to be like flipping pages right it's, it's not it's truly not but uh, it will be great to uh be able to listen to all of matt's uh matt and mike's thoughts yeah. And everybody else's thoughts on that side without having to uh, read anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then out of New York, I'm going to be doing a podcast with uh, esteemed auto writer Lawrence Ulrich, who, um, you know, you can just kind of like face him to a tree and he'll be able to have a conversation 
Um, I said to him when we were... It might be (laughs) one-sided. Wind him up and let him go. I said to him, you know, I'm figuring that when we do this podcast, I'll probably talk about 10% of the time. You'll probably just be like drawing for about 90, but he's delightful. And that's going to be focused more on a general car culture um, kind of uh, thing. And then then we're actually going to be meeting today to talk about other ideas for other podcasts um, because uh, that's sort of the direction that we're going to go in. Um, you know, there's lots of different ideas. You know, I think that there could be um, a sort of DIY thing that, uh, you know, Wesley over here does the, all the shop stuff in the, in the, uh, on the site. And uh, there could be something fun there. Talk about project cars more. Um, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a brave new world. It's a brave new world. I've got a question, actually, on behalf of the listeners. When you guys collectively as a company, Hearst, were looking at Auto Week, given all the, the many brands under the portfolio, what was it about the Auto Week community, this fan base listening to this podcast that you guys said, hey, we need to bring this whole group, not just us here producing content, telling stories, but the people on the other side listening, Auto Week fans? Um, I think it was very clear to the the powers that be up there that, um, you know, Auto Week has just a real dedicated, like enthusiastic, vocal, you know, audience. And you could just see that, Jake, checking out stories, uh, comments that folks uh, leave on them. And, you know, you guys talk about getting letters in the office. It's just, you know, there's not that many places these days where the content is really written by experts and not just people kind of regurgitating the same old news stories. And I think the audience of Auto Week really appreciates that. Um, and so we appreciate them in turn. Uh, and also, I think the Hearst family just went to your Twitter feed, Matt, and uh, just said, we got to get this guy. We got to figure out how to get this guy. <laughs> Which is usually the different reaction from people in positions of power and authority that see my Twitter feed. It's usually, we need to shut this down. We need to censor. Well, they still say we need to get this guy, but for different reasons. <laughs> it's called catch and kill, I yeah. think, in yes. modern parlance. Well, catch and not release, <laughs> at least. <laughs> cool. And then... Uh, any special cars in your life that you've experienced, that you've loved, that you've lost, that you miss? Uh, great question. Probably the car that I missed the most was um, my uh, my dad had a uh, 533i from the, I, I think it was like an 83 or 84 and um, beautiful car in bronze light beige. That's mm-hmm. the kind of, that's the car I learned to drive on, learned to drive stick at the same time. Um, I really miss that one, and uh, that's uh, that's definitely one that I wish was still in the family. You know, I live in Manhattan, uh, so not a car friendly city. Not a car. I don't own a car. Um, I'm lucky that you know I'm able to get test cars. But you know, I was telling the team over here, it's one of these situations where anytime we want to drive somewhere where you can even have the slightest amount of fun, you're looking at at least an hour of traffic out and into the city before that can even like begin to happen so but that hour of traffic is uh like two and a half miles exactly mm-hmm. it's it's literally <laughs> you're not it's not even an exaggeration yeah i was just in times square uh, a couple months ago and <laughs> what, were you just walking around ba- uh, basically no it was it was for a, a sony thing uh, i was i was racing in a, a competition believe it or not uh not well but uh yeah we're trying to get to LaGuardia just from times square it oh, okay. t- it's like Five miles, and it took an hour. Yep, I was. Oh, you made irate. good time. I, we made really good time. Yeah. Front of the driver, uh, but Andy. Yes, I've somehow snubbed you for 
three years. No, I, I don't look at it that way. Oh, well, good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm happy about that. But let, to let, let listeners know a little bit, a little bit about you. Who are you? Why uh, are you? I am Auto Week's digital editor. I've been with the publication for, oh, God, almost nine years now. So anytime you've visited the website, um, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm working on behind the scenes. You may not see my byline a lot, but, um, you know, I, I like to think I've got my greasy fingerprints all over everything you read on the site. So uh, uh, glad to be on the podcast, though. I've been uh, feeling fortunate to be brought into this. So, Well, uh, bad news. It's a lot of rambling discussions. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, we, we talk around the office. Some of the, the conversations we have around the office about old cars, new cars, um, you know, it's, it's entertaining stuff. And I'm glad we're going to get a chance to, uh, to share it with more readers. And you're a, uh, don't want to say a lifetime, but definitely a long-term car nut. That's, uh, I've written about cars since I graduated from college and uh, a long time ago. How about that? Redacted, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For at least nine years. Yes, more than nine years. Uh, and you are getting back. I definitely something to mention on the website. Yeah, I I am. Um, I, I'm. I've, a lot of people talk about the one that got away, and uh, I'm I'm getting one of those back. My my '66 uh, Dodge A100 moved to Canada a couple of years ago, and I stayed in touch with the gentleman who bought it, and he was looking to move it, and I was looking to get it back. So wow. uh, it's going to be coming home next month, and uh, there will be a good. Good web story about that. The second time I've towed this uh, this ratty '66 van home uh, from somewhere. It's a love story. It is a love. It's story. like those stories yeah. you hear about, like couples that get divorced, <laughs> and then a few years later they get married right, again. Right. Right. Exactly. Like Elon Musk's uh, ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully in a better ending. Uh, yeah. Hopefully so. So yeah, we're. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, and it'll be fun. And you know, it's there's always a rotating cast of old cars around the Auto Week office, so I think we've got a lot, a lot of interesting stories to tell around that. And uh, that van doesn't need a whole lot to get really going. Well, it but, depends on what you consider need. But there we go. That's yeah. that's the fun part exactly. about project cars. Exactly. Uh, even even if it runs, drives, and looks fine, it somehow never yeah. stops sucking money. It needs nothing, yet it needs everything. So. Yeah, it's uh, the, the paradox of yeah. old car ownership. Absolutely. And Matt, you, as we've discussed, used to race, but you don't do that anymore because that would take up too much of your time. It would take too much of my money. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to be about... Uh, 16 years old and, and my dad pulled me to the side and was like well you know we can, we can keep on racing but understand that it's going to start getting tight or we can start looking at college and once you get done with college we can see where that leads and goes from there and fortunately it led to daytona either way well maybe even on spring break who knows i, I don't know what you did uh but that's good how do you like the transition from racer to writer do you have a different perspective on what it be, what it is like to be a racer from your history and you know, short track stuff or so it's, it's actually interesting because i don't really see it as being a transition because i've always loved uh media and storytelling um my parents found remarkably uh, a couple of months ago a paper i'd written in fifth grade where i said that i wanted to be uh, my favorite baseball broadcaster, Harry Carey. I wanted to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wanted to be a broadcaster. That's a polarizing guy. <laughs> yes, he was. Holy cow! Um, so I've I've always been interested in storytelling, and I was very interested in newspapers and magazines as a kid. And so it, that's kind of the duality of my my personality is that I've always been a racing guy and I've always been a storyteller. 
and I've been able to live out both of those dreams simultaneously through adulthood. And so I never really had to make a transition. But yeah, my, my grandfather raced, my dad raced, I raced a little bit. So I, I've grown up in racing. My entire family is a family of racers. Uh, the weavers are racing. And so I, I think that's a rare trait when I go into a media center. It's not usually full of a lot of racing people, guys who, who have lived it either from a family standpoint behind the wheel of something I raced carts and bandoleros so nothing really larger than that um but it's a unique perspective and I think that you know given my love of grassroots racing as well um the relationships that I've forged in motorsports people see me as a racer and that's been hugely beneficial cool and uh also racers we have a great interview with uh John uh, John Caps almost got his uh, almost got him confused with his brother Ron Caps. Don't confuse them, even though they are both great guys. Uh, John was one of the t- uh, stunt drivers on the upcoming uh, what's that movie called? Oh, a Ford versus Ferrari. That's uh, a big deal coming his, uh, coming up here in the next couple weeks. I think we're gonna see it on the sixth, something like that. Uh, well, I'm looking at Mike through the uh, through the window here. November, well, November fifteenth, of course, but we're gonna get a little bit of a teaser, and you're gonna hear about it right here. But uh. We're going to go to him. Welcome back to the podcast. We have a special guest on the line today from somewhere, parts unknown in California, I believe, uh, John Caps. Uh, John, you're out in California, right? Um, actually, I am in Las Vegas. Wow, that's even better, isn't it? How's the weather out there? It's beautiful, actually. I'm going to go uh, try and play some golf this morning. Oh, well, we're going to, before you slow it down with some golfing, uh, John is a uh, brother of Ron Caps. I guess Ron walks around saying he's the brother of John Caps, uh, NHRA funny car Definitely. driver. Is that how that works in the family? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I've heard that he says that, but, uh, I, I guess at Thanksgiving dinner, he's still the fastest guy at the table, unfortunately. Wow. All right. Well, John is a, uh, what, are, are you a professional stunt car driver? Is that your day job? Is that what you call yourself? Yeah, I uh, I do that um, not as often as I'd like to, obviously, but uh, I do that and I do some consulting for different car companies doing automotive launches. But uh, I would say stunt guy is the one I'd like to choose the best. And you've you've had a little uh, you've, you've you've taken a, a spin or two in the NHRA, haven't you? Yeah, I mean I'm still a licensed uh, Nitro Funny Car driver and, and always trying to chase you know sponsors and different packages to try and race. Um, but I think I've lately turned into just trying to, to work more as, uh, as opportunities become available. Well, you talk about working in an opportunity. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari, uh, the movie we're all talking about here in Detroit and at Auto Week, uh, you know, the, the story of the 1966 uh, uh, Ford GT at Le Mans. Uh, everything, everybody tells me you've got a role in this thing, John. Tell me a little bit about uh, what, you, what you had a hand in on this one. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, the director and, and stunt coordinator put together a great group of drivers. And one of the cool things, like the backstories about the whole thing is, uh, the stunt coordinator, a guy named Robert Nagel did a great job on kind of picking the different driving people. He's got, uh, the cool thing is there's three drivers that are doing some stunt work on the movie that their fathers were actually involved in the 1966 Lamar. And, um, Alex Gurney, he plays his dad, obviously. Um, and uh, Derek Hill, whose dad, Phil Hill, was in it as well. And also uh, Jeff Bucknam, whose dad, Ronnie Bucknam, all raced in that race. So it was kind of special for those guys to kind of 
go down a memory lane. Wow, well, that that's a great group. And uh, Jeff Bucknam, uh, th- that strikes a chord here in Michigan. I mean, his dad, Ronnie, uh, was the first winner of the first race at Michigan International Speedway back in 68, uh, way back in the day. So that, that name's kind of magic out here, and it was cool to see his name uh, you know, tied to the movie. It's nice to know he's still out there driving and doing stuff with cars. Yeah, he is, and he's uh, his son actually is now starting to run some open-wheel cars up in Northern California and, and doing really, really well. Um, so we'll probably see him, I'd imagine, uh, moving up through the ranks here pretty soon. Um, it, and one of the other cool things about it is we have another guy on, on the movie, uh, a guy by the name of Ben Collins, who some of you may know as The Stig. So it was kind of neat to have you know a diverse group of guys from racing backgrounds, from open-wheel and, and um uh, road course racing, myself and drag racing and some serial track stuff, a couple other um, stunt guys that are big time racers like uh, Greg Tracy who runs off-road and Pikes Peak and um, a bunch of other guys with some pretty diverse backgrounds but it, was, it made for very fun downtime sitting around telling stories Oh sure, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know where are we going to see you in this movie, uh, what were you driving? <clears throat> Actually I'm waiting to find out if, they, if it makes it in the movie. But uh, one of the roles, I was right, driving um, like a 903 Porsche. And um, there's a guy who, I can't recall the person's name actually, that used to drive for Ferrari that got let go. And so he went to Porsche. And um, there's a segment that uh, he just didn't want any Ferraris to pass him going down the most on straight. <laughs> and so I'm kind of balking people left and right. And... Um, and the actors call me uh, by some uh, not-so-nice names that they're trying to pass me. And so they kind of try and juke around me, and, and, and um, basically they call me an a-hole for like about five minutes. So uh, apparently I am the a-hole Porsche driver. All right, so we'll look for that in the credits as well then. So, John, you... Yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> you, did you guys really drive on the Circuit de la Sarthe? No, so we drove, we set up um a couple different places where we're doing different scenes we started doing 1963 64 uh when we we're at willow springs in southern california out in the desert and that was a lot of fun because a lot of the cars were you know very much um let's say not the, the most high performance cars which made it even funnier to, to go around that track because that track is really fast and, and kind of gets your attention that was kind of neat, but it was also 110 degrees outside, so we were um, struggling with the heat. Then we, we went back to um, Savannah, Georgia. There's a road course just across from downtown on a little private golf course um, that they made for Indy Lights back in the 90s, and they didn't really run it that much, so it's still there. And we set up um, a couple different scenes at, at different points throughout that little road course, and then we went out in the middle of Georgia somewhere, um, and commandeered a five-mile stretch of highway. And that's what we use for the most on straight and a couple of corners entering and exiting the most on straights. So, you know, we were out there, you know, from 6 o'clock at night until 6 a.m. running up and down these roads at a high rate of speed. And we had uh, all the local people that lived on that road really didn't like us much because we were, you know, <laughs> 10 to 15 cars flying through there at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Nice. Now, now this isn't your first uh, movie, is it? You've, you've got some other credits uh, doing some of this stuff. Yeah, I was very fortunate enough to uh, kind of get into the industry on um, a Stallone movie called Driven. Our favorite um, so movie of all of, time. That's our favorite movie yeah. of all time. It's a podcast favorite. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're the two guys that saw it. Oh, no, it's awesome. 
Yeah, I love it. I mean, I had a good time doing it. Um, we went up to uh, Toronto and Montreal and, and drove through the tunnels in Montreal, which was really fun. Um, so that was, you know, a lot of fun. And then the same group of guys that got me onto that uh, brought me on board to work on Talladega Nights. So that was clearly, you know, a lot of fun. Our second favorite movie, by the way, uh, here at the Auto Week podcast. So, wow, you're, you're a legend already, John. So, John. Um, in my own mind. Uh <laughs> Driven, Talladega Nights, and Ford v. Ferrari. I mean, you're doing essentially the same job, but in distinctly different ways. I mean, can you tell us how Ford v. Ferrari is different than Driven for, and from your perspective? Um, wow, that's a good question. So a lot of the setup for what we did was kind of the same, more on a performance-based setup than, than a stunty vibe um that's why the guy that was a stunt coordinator for ford v ferrari um robert nagel wanted mostly race car guys because the camera sees things a little bit different from you know your your normal eyes sitting in the grandstand so we have to kind of drive a racing line more so um and the camera sees that sometimes so he wanted more guys that that understand where you would be and where you wouldn't be on a racetrack versus what a stunt guy would see you know knowing what a camera sees so um Hopefully, a lot of what we did makes it into the movie. Um, you know, it didn't on Driven, clearly, because they used a lot of CGI, and so I don't think they're going to use a lot of CGI on this one. Um, we did a lot of close-quarters driving, um, back and forth, and weaving back and forth in front of each other, and rain conditions and fog and all kinds of different fun cool. stuff. Yeah. Real cool. Um, any other stunt driving type stuff, or is it all just racing stuff for you then, John? I mean, you just focus on the racing type movies to... Uh, for your work i i typically get more of the racing kind of stuff i'm trying to breach out of just doing that and trying to do some other stuff i tried to light myself on fire last month and and um on purpose permitting, <laughs> permitting didn't allow that but uh you know i'm always trying to do different things i mean, i enjoy doing the work and and you know face it it's kind of how we grew up is doing you know goofy stuff as kids so um you know i guess it's uh it's how I like to do things. Ever have a stunt go wrong? Fortunately, no, I haven't. Um, you know, I've seen a couple of things go bad, um, but I tell you what, the stunt coordinators and all the other guys that are around, it's so methodically planned out and walked through. And so at, at every given moment, everybody knows where everybody else is and what they're supposed to do if there is an issue, you know? So if something goes wrong and we're next, right next to each other, something starts to go wrong, you know that my out is going to be going that way. And I know that your out is going to be, you know, the same way. So everything's planned out and um, scripted. And so, you know, I guess what they say is you never, you never give them anything for free. Right. So you don't crash unless you're supposed to. I got, I got to know, I got to know one of the movie secrets though. When you guys are racing at speed on the, on the big screen, what is at speed? I mean, how fast are you guys really going out there? It really, like we were actually, we ran around Fontana. Um, it was supposed to be Daytona of 1966. And we were running around pretty fast. I mean, we were 120 miles an hour easily. So this isn't just uh, 55 miles an hour with some uh, graphics and stuff. So this is cool. No. I mean, most of the time, you know, we did another segment when we were back at Road Atlanta. And um, we did some pretty fast stuff there. There's a really cool crash scene there that, um, Man, I, after the movie, I can tell you how it would happen, but it wasn't CGI. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> it, um, it was gnarly, 
But, uh, yeah, we were running around pretty fast. I mean, it, it, a lot of the times it's pretty slow, like you're saying, and they just kind of cheated with a camera lens. But um, that was, again, Nagel's process is he wanted this thing to be very racy and, and you know, taking a look at Grand Prix and Le Mans and all those original movies that are still held, you know, in high regard. You always try and want to mimic that, right? Definitely. Anything else in the can, uh, John? You got anything else you're working on or you got coming up in future projects? Uh, maybe a little Fast and Furious? Actually, it's funny you missed that. I actually I just started working on Fast and Furious 9 uh, this week. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to ask another question, but now the question is, is can you spill some details? What What's going to happen? What are we um, looking at? There's going to be a lot of cars and there's going to be some really attractive girls and Vin Diesel's probably going to make funny faces cool yeah so status quo on the fast and furious front that's good news that's gonna be great that's gonna be great back to ford versus ferrari uh you drove a 904 porsche what else did you drive so there were um shoot i drove a really cool old cobra 427 cobra which was so much fun and we were running around um at will springs which if you've ever seen will springs racetrack uh it's one of the older race tracks on the west coast and um you know, the last corner going on the front straightaway is a big, long sweeper, and it's fast, really, really fast. And um, so in between certain parts of the track that they were actually shooting on, he would let us just, you know, drive around the rest of the track and form back up and go by the cameras again. And so racers being racers, we typically, you know, tend to push the next guy next to you. And so we're always trying to go each other into going faster and faster <clears throat> into the corners. And so you know, it turned into a race in between shoots um did some uh drove the uh, gt40 um which is a replica they did have a couple of proper ones but we really didn't get a chance to drive those much now john you talk about some of the cool cars you've driven obviously as a licensed nhra driver i mean have you ever had a desire to maybe try uh, some stock car racing or or some late model stuff um not really i mean early on in, in racing for me was go-karting and you know after i got out of service i got involved in open wheel racing driving usac sprint, um, midgets and sprint cars and things like that so um loved the dirt racing on pavement ovals as well did some road racing as well um worked on as a crew guy on an indy lights team so um enjoyed all forms of racing but drag racing has kind of been where my family was you know where i grew up in racing so i i I kind of gravitated toward that. So who's got the most dangerous gig, you or your brother? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, again, NHRA makes things so safe for everybody that I wouldn't necessarily call that dangerous, even though sometimes, you know, a lot of times NHRA funny cars catch on fire. But I feel safer in a funny car than I do driving around Vegas sometimes. That's kind of for sure. So, John, uh, more on the NHRA so you actually, for people that don't know this, drive a lot of nostalgia cars, nostalgia fuel cars. Uh, you, I think you mentioned to me you drove you drive Jungle Jim's car. What's it like driving? What's what's it like driving nostalgia fuel? How's that different than a modern nostalgia, fueler? The cool thing about nostalgia funny cars is all the rules are based around like a nineteen seventy five time frame, seventy seventy five. So um, the rules are based in that segment, like the rule, like the spirit of the rule, you know. So the bodies are. You know, no, no newer than like 75, um, the, the, the type of ignition system, you know, the amount of, 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 uh, amps they use. It's single, single, uh, single mag engine, single plug. Um, 
clutch is still a two-speed. So it's kind of really, they try and keep it, you know, just like it was back in the day. Now, granted, technology has gotten better. So they're, they're, they really enjoy that run, even though they're, you know, 5.6, 5.8 second runs at 250, 260 miles an hour. You can enjoy that run versus like a, like a big show nitro funny car. It's so intense that you're kind of, you know, it's more of a reactionary kind of deal. And once you get done with it, you can kind of, think back and say, man, that's kind of fun, or yeah, here's what went wrong or something like that. But the Stadler car is a lot of fun. Um, it's more of a laid-back atmosphere around the track. Um, even driving the, the Jungle Gym car was really neat, going to, going to uh, the tracks that he used to race back on the East Coast and seeing how the fans still have tattoos, you know, Jungle Gym on it and all that kind of stuff. Is that a bad answer? No, it's a perfect answer. <laughs> oh, I heard a, a giant dong. I thought that was... No, no, that was my email. I forgot to, I forgot to quiet that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the gong. You know, you're done, John. You're done. Hey, uh, <laughs> John, I guess the movie comes out, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, uh, November 15th, I guess, on the national release. Uh, a lot of us are going to see it a few days earlier, I hope. I hope I'm, this is a plug for anybody out there that's got a preview ticket for us. Give us the movie, please. We want to see out it. There is we want to see Give it. us the we, movie. We want to see it. And make sure I sit next to some kid that's screaming the whole time, all right? That's what I want. I'll be right next to you, Mike, screaming yeah. the entire time. The movie the movie looks really good. We saw um, a little bit of a uh, of a teaser, and uh, it looks really good. And you know the audience that we were sitting watch sitting with watching it laughed a lot and had a good time with it. So you know hopefully it's it's well received and uh, hopefully get a chance to see a lot of our racing in it. I do have to ask: Did you see or talk with Matt Damon or Christian, Christian Bale, Bale or anybody? Yeah, I had uh, quite a bit of interaction with Christian nice. Bale. He came out and actually drove. Um, a couple cars for I'd say a full day at Willow Springs trying to get to understand, you know, where your eyes would be, where your head would be, just typical in car kind of stuff. So when the camera's on him, he actually looks like he knows what he's doing. Um and he took to the car really well. One of the drivers, a guy named Tony Hunt, who's a you know, I think seven time or twelve time USAC sprint car champion, was the guy um coaching him around the track and uh, he did a great job. Fantastic, John. Well, I tell you what, uh, we're going to have to stay in touch. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you after the movie because this is going to be a big hit, I know. And it's going to be big with all the car guys that follow this podcast and uh, Auto Week and, and just racing in general. And, and again, I, we got an NHRA driver here proving that, yes, they can turn left and right. And I think that's, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, John, and, and you got uh, you know Fast and Furious coming up. Uh, we definitely want to keep an eye on yeah, that one. That's uh, absolutely. You know, we we've done entire podcasts on that on that whole series, and uh, we're big fans of that. And that's got to be you know that's going to be really a cool thing to to put on your resume. I got to believe. Yeah, I'm super excited about that part, and uh, you know that's one of those things. If you're a stunt driver and, and performance driving, that kind of thing, that's definitely one thing you need to have on your resume. So I'm not really excited about that. Cool, John. Well, thank you for your time uh, today and uh, boy, best of luck with the movie and uh, we'll be looking for you. And again, congratulations. Uh, it's been a great run for you guys and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That was John Katz and man, the stuff he told us uh, off air is even wilder than uh, I'm kidding. No, uh, the, the Fortress Ferrari that looks great. That's going to be a great movie, and I'm sure it's definitely going to win some sort of award. Uh, I think they give awards for movies. I don't know. Auto Week does. We're going to start. We're going to start oh, that. The yeah, Auto the, uh, the Wikis or whatever. The Auto Wikis. Uh, yeah, definitely. We're going to give that movie an award, even though we haven't seen it yet. But 
Uh, Mike, thank you for coming back through the interview, through the space and time to enter the studio and talk to us a little about racing with Matt still Weaver. the man in the room, Mr. Matt Weaver. What the hell's going on in racing? Are these guys still racing? They're still running cars around tracks and stuff? What the <laughs> yeah, hell? Yeah, Wesley, they're, they're still racing. Uh, the season really, as you know, Matt, the season doesn't end, does it? It never does. Uh, year to year, um, 24-7. I've always said that we're kind of like doctors. We're always on call. We're waiting for something crazy to happen. Um, I will. I will say you're not saving lives, though. <laughs> I mean, we got what? We, I mean, these seasons are now ending around December first, but then in January we're talking about the Rolex already. Well, well, that too, but also you know, there's the race of champions every January, the yeah. Chili Bowl. So there's no shortage of content, and I think that's one of the things that made us attractive to Hearst too, is that we're always on, and there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. Well, you know, we talked. Uh, Patrick was in here earlier talking about the uh, website, how that's going to change, and some of the stuff that we're doing is going to look a little differently uh, on the site. Uh, the timing for us, Matt, is perfect. I mean, we're not, you know, we never really have an off season, but this is about as good as time we could have for this transition. So, you know, when the Rolex rolls around next January and, and into February with some of this stuff, we're going to be ready to roll for Daytona. It's going to be fun. Speaking of the Rolex, I don't think we talked about this on the podcast, but a friend of the show, friend of Auto Week, friend of Mazda, former employee of Mazda, John Doonan is taking the realm over at Emso. And I think that's going to be a, a, smooth and fantastic transition as well i think that he's a he's a great guy and he's going to lead that uh, that product to a even higher heights well it's already pretty high right now i mean as john said and congratulations to john Doonan. i mean he's one of the good guys in racing uh, for him to get that gig is just outstanding and he's a friend of auto week as you know he's uh we've had him on the podcast we've actually had him in studio in studio multiple times first, yeah a couple and times more than a few lunches and also john if you're listening if i can get an emsa jacket just please they're very cool. Now, I, I, are we to assume that IMSA's budget is better or worse for lunches than Mazda's? At least the same. Probably okay. better. Having been to that office in Daytona, I can tell you <laughs> the, the lunch spread is pretty good. All right. So if you're listening, Mr. Doonan, as I'm sure you are as a regular podcast listener, uh, next time you come to Detroit, uh, we can upgrade a little bit on the lunch. Please. And, and we'll also, uh, and uh, since Atherton, your former, uh, former, the former president so was in studio, we expect you in studio, John, to uh, swing by and just talk to us about uh, your, your favorite popcorns, your favorite movies of the week, anything. And I'll also, what, of course, your product. But Wesley, I mean, John Doonan is going to be good for IMSA. Uh, I don't think we're going to miss a beat. Things are still on the uptick down there. Oh, no, I wasn't suggesting you know, anything. I, I, I think John's going to do a great no, John's job. John's going to do a great job, and we're looking forward to seeing him put his stamp on this thing. I was surprised. I mean, I thought he was going to be a Mazda lifer. I mean, he seems like he had a really good game there things are really moving forward with that mazda program got some wins this year finally and uh you never i've never seen more emotional you know uh, racing boss than john doonan after a win yeah i think this is definitely uh all things considered his year to use a oh cliche gosh, yeah. winning with that mazda for the first time and then getting the ultimate win of becoming the president and i think maybe i'm not gonna suggest anything but the balance performance might be more lenient on that mazda going forward i'm not saying there's any bias <laughs> but i'm just saying uh, if, if it were me they'd be winning every race well, let's talk about a series that they do or they don't have balanced performance. Well, well no, let me add one thing on John real quick. Because I one, I want to add that that is the absolute perfect pick. No question. And I was surprised for multiple reasons. I was surprised because I thought, too, that he would be a lifer there. He is synonymous with the brand. And they started to make really good progress. And, and, I, he, and he's done so much outside right. of IMSA. 
not not that I necessarily expected it, but I was kind of anxious that I thought that, you know, it's it's NASCAR. It's a NASCAR brand. I thought that maybe they would take someone with the restructuring going on overall there, the ISC NASCAR merger, and certainly that applies to IMSA and Flat Track as well, that maybe you take an executive from the stock car side who's had a lot of success and try to sprinkle some of that over IMSA, which I do not think would have been the right move to make. But sometimes that's the kind of moves they do make, and they did and they made sure they had a guy within the OEM business, within the sports car business to oversee sports car racing. And that's why, to me, I think it's the best possible move because he's attacked the business from so many different angles. He is the absolute best guy to lead Major League Sports Car Racing moving forward. Well, And there's no eye rolls when you when you, when John Doonan walks through the, the paddock for the first time as the president. No. Uh, you know, there's not going to be the, oh, he's a NASCAR guy. You know, some other guy would have come in, could have been a NASCAR guy that we've got to kind of you know learn our ways he doesn't need to pass the resume around not at all or or even even like a MotoGP guy or f1 guy or dtm guy he he is cemented in that those apatics as a figure and i think he has so much credibility with that with those people that they're going to follow him wherever he wants to take the sport well, John too says he was approached back in the spring for this with for this job. That was one of the best kept secrets in in, in motorsports and in a series, or frankly, in a sport. There aren't very many secrets. I mean, there's a lot of things we can't tell you quite now, right now, but there's not very many secrets, and that was one that was kept secret very well. Mike Prison will be the next president of NASCAR. Uh, that's uh, just rumor. Was that was, was rumor. rumor? Okay, just okay. Rumor. Real fast, I guess we should. We I don't think we've talked about the IMSA season wrapping up. And uh, on the podcast, but Acura won. Yeah, congratulations to uh, Acura and Team Penske. Another win for Team Penske. What a year! I mean, what is it? Indy Five Hundred, the IndyCar Series, IMSA, V Eight Supercars over in uh, Australia, and still got a chance at the NASCAR Championship. Two drivers out of eight. That's amazing. But uh, Matt, bring me up to speed on the NASCAR deal. I haven't been paying close attention to NASCAR. I've been uh, preoccupied, as it seems, with uh, my life, so I've not been following NASCAR too close. Bring us, bring it, bring me up to speed. What the hell's happening? So right now we, we're starting the round of eight. So this is the push to the championship. Uh, there are the next three races. We'll see the field get whittled down from eight to four, and the the tracks are Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix. And so whichever drivers who are the four lowest in points who don't have a win will be eliminated, and the four drivers who advance will have one race to determine who has the best finish at um, Homestead, Miami amongst them, and that driver will be crowned the champion. So this is really the most exciting part of the year, and it starts off at Martinsville this weekend, which is a short track, and it's going to be wild. Who is looking hot? Who's on the uh, the Mets, Mets must-wins? So this has been Joe, Gibb racing, Joe Gibbs racing season pretty much from start to finish. Uh, those three guys have the most playoff points, so those are the favorites, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, Denny Hamlin, Denny Hammond with a a big win at Kansas last weekend to kind of cement his place as that guy. But also you've got Chase Elliott, who has big-time momentum, and Hendrick Motorsports has really turned that program around. Chevrolet has turned their car around the second half of this year. So if you were to ask me right now who are going to be the four, that's the four that I think will advance. Mike, any... uh... So you're you're taking Bush, Truex, Hamlin, and... Chase Elliott. And Chase Elliott. Yeah. But again, though, you, you you look right now at the grid and you have it in front of you, mm-hmm. and it's hard. You can, you could probably make a case that for Blaney and Larson, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. 
because they're far back on playoff points. They're basically in a must-win scenario, and they really haven't shown the kind of speed to do that with regularity. But everyone else is going to be a dogfight. Harvick, how could I leave Harvick? Harvick's had a great second half of the season, you know, and he's still rolling right along. He has, but they just haven't had a full season put together. They've been just off, and now this is where you have to be elite. You have to be elite for at least either on one week and win over the course of three weeks. I just think right now the, the the race to get in is going to be between that nine and that four. And um, I think just right now the Chevrolet and Hendrick have been better than Stuart Haas. Well, and that's good news for Chevrolet, who's been kind of quiet. You know, now they're right back For there. two years. Yeah, for two years. And now they're back uh, at least competitive. Yeah, I, also we lost uh, William Byron and Clint Boyer in the last round, so that eliminates all the winless guys. So now we will, you know, we won't have that, uh, you know, underdog to be rooting for at, at Homestead. No. <laughs> There's no Ryan Newman out there with no wins trying to win a championship, which I still think that'd be great for the sport. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah not going to happen this year. But yeah, going forward, you got like I say, a, a big a full thing. Martinsville. Uh, who's good at Martinsville out of these guys? Is there somebody you can say is a clear favorite at Martinsville? So I will say I, I raced that car, that track in NASCAR heat. That is an awful track. That is, I don't know how, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people race that track at speed. It is insane. I basically rode a wall for uh, 20 laps. I don't I don't understand. <laughs> well, I've just checked here, Wesley. You're not on the grid, so you didn't make the No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I sadly didn't qualify. Uh, uh, Joey Logano didn't give me a seat, so I don't think I'll be racing this weekend. I've never been there. You've been there. Oh, you, multiple you, times. You, you, it's my favorite track. It. How? How? How are these people getting around that thing? <laughs> um, it takes a lot of discipline. I mean, that place there's so there's so little throttle time, which is what makes that track awesome. Um, you have guys who are you know dive bombing under you because it's the only way to pass. You can't make a clean pass, so you can't treat it like a sports car. You've got to move people, which is how I do it in NASCAR heat. But uh, it, it seems unsportsmanlike. <laughs> it seems ungentlemanly. Oh, you need to go to, to the, be shoving people. You need to go to the late model race there at some point because those guys have no discipline whatsoever. It's huge money and. And because those guys typically race for you know three four thousand dollars a weekend, they're now racing for thirty two grand, which is more than the NASCAR truck race pays. And some of the most disciplined, cleanest racers lose their minds in the closing laps of that race because it's, it's, it's bedlam. And if if you destroy that tube chassis, you can get a new uh, a used one for like twenty grand. So you're making money regardless to tear up the car, and you're still yeah you can afford still to fix your up. car now. That's amazing. But you've got to win. You've got to win. <laughs> so there's a lot of guys going home with. Uh, beat up equipment and yeah. having to find a way to make it for the next race. Great. But, but to Mike's point, who is good here of the, of the last eight folks? Who mm-hmm. who's who's looking? So it's always been Hamlin, hasn't it? Well, I mean, n- no. I mean, first of all, first of all, Logano has had a recent great stretch. But Hamlin used to be the man. He at used to be. He used to be. Jeff Gordon used to be too, until he suddenly wasn't. Um, Joey Logano, friend Joe, of Auto Week. Joey Logano, former friend Auto of Auto Week, co- absolutely. Former Auto Week cover uh, cover guy. Yeah. Um. He he's ran off. I think the four last poles in the fall race wow, okay. and even like a couple of spring poles. Uh, he's got a couple of wins now at Martinsville. And like I said, I think that he might be on the outside looking in. So this is the opportunity right here. Chase Elliott has probably been in a position to win this race the last couple of years. And he most famously got ran over by Denny Hamlin yep. a- as the leader. Um, 
Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch has a couple of wins. Uh, he's pretty good. Martin Truex is not a short track driver. He's the first one who will admit that to you. Um, but you brought up Denny. Denny's the man here traditionally. Uh, I can tell you right now, Larson and Blaney, they are not excited about this. It's one of their worst tracks, both of them. And they and, can't fall down anymore. And they points. can't fall down any I mean, worse. They're, they're, like I said, they're in must win right. anyway. So they want to go to Texas where they are good. They want to go to Phoenix where they're passable. But it's mm-hmm. not going to be this weekend. I mean, now now I say that right. and watch one of them win. win because yeah. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be a demolition derby and then they're going to win but based on the numbers and stats the the guys on the bottom the the blaney and the larson they're going to be challenged this weekend and the other guys are all pretty good and then next week we go to you know texas and the all out uh, how much speed you got yeah I mean, well, with this package too we saw last weekend at kansas all it takes is a restart yep. and your entire fortunes could be changed and before we go any further i've had something i've wanted to get off my chest oh all everybody pull yep, off the side of the road all, all all week and i want to give a preview i've been tasked with doing a podcast and i i, I told the hearse guys i said look if you want a matt weaver podcast then it's going to be matt weaver unfiltered and we're going to talk about some pretty hard-hitting topics that's a i wouldn't use that name i would pick a different name the matt weaver unfiltered <laughs> <laughs> um but a lot of people have thrown a lot of criticism i've seen the tweets i've seen the emails and i want to answer them right now on the podcast um I criticized the ending of that race at Kansas, and I wanted to just give a little bit of insight why. I'm tired of being told, oh, I hate NASCAR, I, I hate the package, and I'm going to, to dump on everything that NASCAR does. And, and that's not the case. I'm a stock car lifer. Um, you know, there's no bigger true definition cheerleader of the discipline than me in that media center. Most, most importantly, if NASCAR doesn't thrive, I don't have a job. If racing doesn't thrive, I don't have a job. So I, I'm not going to root for them to fail. But I also have spent enough time in other motorsports disciplines to, to recognize the difference between a pure motorsport and a circus. And there are times throughout NASCAR's history that they've deferred to the side of being a circus because that's what the audience demands. There was a late caution in that race. Ryan Blaney had cut a tire. He had gotten got into the wall a little bit, and he had littered some debris on the apron of the racetrack with 12 laps to go. It was off the racing surface. Traditionally, that is not called a caution. At least over the past three years, NASCAR has let that go um, but right now with this rules package, which I am not a fan of, I've been a very vocal critic of it, this package needs restarts to be interesting. The race was not one to remember until that caution. And where it drew my ire was at that point, the cards had been played. Um, the championship to advance into the round of eight had been decided. Brad Keselowski had done enough. Chase Elliott had not. Um, and, and, Brad was barely holding on. He had some damage from contact with Eric Jones earlier. Um, But basically what that that caution did, it set up a total circus. With that restart, you're going to have five wide because the cars are so underpowered and overgripped, and it's going to be chaos. And it resulted in Chase Elliott advancing and Brad Keselowski not. And there was also the controversy of of NASCAR throwing the quickest caution ever when they were wrecking coming to the line. Um, And there have been so many times where NASCAR has let it go and let them just cross the line. I want consistency. This is not me being a critic, a hater. This is no different to me. And I wrote this in my column on Monday. This is no different than a pass interference call. All you want 
from the officials is some degree of consistency. And I know not every pass interference play is the same. I know not every caution is the same. You can put two identical incidents side by side and you're going to get two different calls. And the only thing that's different is the circumstances. In this case, it was a playoff deciding race. It was the round of eight transfer race almost like an nfc championship game just like the nfc championship game and i'm a saints fan so that hits close to home uh i will say this much interjecting you can't spell saints without ain'ts that's all i'm gonna say about that six and one without drew Brees. yeah i'm a rams fan so i have i don't have (laughs) have a clap back for that but can't spell saints without ain'ts Man, man, now that we're in the playoffs, though, like you say, these are so these restarts are just critical to guys, you know, entire seasons. Are you more of the mindset of when in doubt, throw the caution, or when in doubt, let them run? So where I was getting at, and this is kind of the answer to your question too. Um, I think one of the things that leaves me so polarized about this season is that I think NASCAR had heard the criticisms about phantom debris cautions. Mm. Um, they, they had come up with the stage breaks to kind of put some cautions in the race without being criticized. And if you look at the stats, um, Andrew Manis, who is a, a longtime statistician um, who works for Pit Row, we did a magazine story. we got to get him on a podcast. Yeah, um, a very brilliant guy. Actually, it produced a graph yep. that shows the number of debris cautions that NASCAR had called over the past three years, and they were down. They were pretty much a non-storyline because they had come up with the stage breaks. And now, um, with this package, you need restarts, and you're seeing the debris cautions come back up. Kyle Busch has criticized it a couple of times. And I think that NASCAR sometimes calls the races based on what their current product is at the time. So where I'm getting at is is over the last three years, NASCAR had probably the most purest form of of their sanctioning body they had had in a long time. Um, The cars were high horsepower, relatively um, low downforce. The racing felt very pure. And now it's a different structure this year. And I think that they've changed the criteria for what is a caution because they need those restarts because it's what the fans want too. And they will always try to produce the show um, their fans most want. NASCAR president Steve Phelps has told us that. He says that they want to produce the type of racing their fans want to see. But I think a byproduct of that is you're going to have, if you're going to call pass interference, you're going to get the scrutiny that comes with pass interference. And that's what some of those cautions were mm-hmm. at Kansas in a playoff game, a playoff race. Matt, I don't think you're going to get too many people to uh, fight that. I mean, everybody's once. Oh, cons- you'd be surprised. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, you can fight it initially, but when you break it down to you just want consistent rule implementation, that's any any sporting person in any stick and ball sport or any motorsport, that's that's all you can ask for. You, we see, we've seen some inconsistencies with Formula One. We've seen inconsistencies with NASCAR. Uh, very few with NHRA, coincidentally. Uh, but it's, been, but it's it been years, if not decades, since Formula One threw a caution with a couple laps to go to set up a you know a great finish. They they those are early in the race. When it's toward the end of the race, they let them rock. You know. Well, most of the time, Mike, and uh, when NASCAR when F one throws out a caution, it's a a car out there. So yeah. So that, that's the end of the race. <laughs> if they if they have a yep. if they have a car out there. Uh, a safety car out to, during a caution, like we saw in Singapore. Yeah, I'm just not. A, I'm just not a fan when they manufacture a, a restart just for the sake of the fans. I mean, and that's what it felt like. Did you see the yeah, end? Oh of yeah, the race? I did. Oh, did I, it feel I, a little I, manufactured? Yeah. Oh, a lot manufactured. Yeah. And I totally agreed with what you're saying. It's uh, those. I don't like that. I mean, and there's a lot of drivers out there that earn those positions that suddenly they had to give up. And Kozlowski, 
I, you probably don't want to talk to him yet, even today. No, and you know. he wasn't giving anything away. You could tell that he was so right. frustrated, and his answers were so short after the race. He said, we just didn't do enough. Um, I didn't see the caution. Everything mm-hmm. was just very short and terse. And you know, Brad is so giving. Yes. And Brad is so verbose and so articulate. And for Brad to basically stick the answers in his pocket and mm-hmm. just say, we didn't do enough, we didn't do enough, pretty telling. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's NASCAR real quick. Uh, F1, where is F1 going to be this, this what, hold on, what day is it? Where is <laughs> F1 going to be this weekend? F1 is in Mexico, and the big news is Lewis Hamilton is going for the championship. Lou Ham, uh, and Toto Wolf just said, uh, we're going to see. Uh, yeah, he, we'll the, see. Mercedes doesn't seem too excited about the next four races. But but they could, he's already shut out Leclerc for the... For the yeah, it's, 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 a Mercedes driver will win. And Botas and is not going to... They're not going to let Botas pass Hamilton for the championship. They the, might let him win the, a race or two down they, the stretch. They've let it happen before, so it's really hard to say. Uh, not in the Hamilton era, though. Except when Nico well, Rosberg, Rosberg well, they yeah. did, beat Hamilton. But, but, so but, that would be during but, the Hamilton no, era. No, but, they, but Hamilton did not have a huge lead, and they let Rosberg catch him in the last four races. No, but they're going to let him race, and I, I do believe we'll they're going to let him yeah, race. Well, I think they're going to let him race this week. I think they're going to let him race for the next four. Here's the deal. The, the manufacturers have already, already wrapped up. Yeah, exactly. So care. there's no reason for them not to race. I think Toto is going to let them do battle because now there's no worst-case scenario right. oh, for the, for the team. Side. Exactly. And so at this point, if, if they want to wreck each other every week for the driver's championship. Which would, that, which that would seal it up to, for Lewis. That <laughs> yeah, makes sense to would. us. That makes sense to us. But Lewis Hamilton is still on the verge of making some major history here. And his years in, seri- in the series are numbered. I think there's a lot of people – Either do or don't want him to catch, you know, Schumacher, and uh, this is a good shot at it right now. You know, he'd become he'd be pulling within one championship of Schumacher. I w- think he can which make that. which he would have had had Nico not beaten him a You're couple right. years ago. Well, Nico beat him fair and square though. And if Bodas goes off on a it, roll, it'll be fair and square. All right, square. we'll see. I'm, I'm taking Hamilton. You guys can have the field. <laughs> so all right? listen, here's the thing. I'll, I'll take I'll, Hamilton in any race. I love him. He's a good he's a good guy. If this were if this were if this were Ferrari, he's also a vegan, right? We learned today that he's a he has vegan. a vegan restaurant. He has a vegan restaurant now in <laughs> London called Neat Burger. So any of you in London, we need some reviews on that. If uh, next time I'm in London, I'll be eating there. I'm not vegan, but uh, I will be eating there. I, I want to support Lewis Hamilton as much as possible. Even the, you turn even vegan for that weekend, just to well for one meal for one meal. Okay. <laughs> if this were Ferrari, I would probably concede. Yeah, it's a, a fait accompli that they're going to give the Vettel number the one driver the championship. But I think that if you look at traditionally at Mercedes and the way that Toto runs that program, it's the manufacturer championship first. And they got that. Check. Yep. And then they want their drivers to be able to compete. And I don't. you've heard a lot of accusations about Lewis and the politics, but you don't hear about Lewis and equipment. And right. you, you don't hear a question about the parity of the program. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, I don't think you're going to see the Ferrari playbook be utilized by Toto. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see a uh, uh, Valtteri, if he could just let Ham- Lewis buy, where uh, he's going to get this win, uh, if he could just let him buy. Well, I, I, I don't think we're going to see no. that. All I hope is that... And, and if we do, you're going to hear a lot of, nah. <laughs> I just, you know, on one hand, though, I don't want Lewis Hamilton to wrap it up this week because the next week is at Coda, you know, up in, down in Austin, Texas. I'll be there. For the I, U.S. Grand Prix. Yeah, I'd love to be down there to see, uh, you know, maybe a championship uh, win out of Hamilton and a little history made. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to be an exciting few weeks in uh, in the in F one world, or as exciting as F one can be, depending on how the race goes. Ooh, uh, anything else going? WRC? Where's WRC? Well, we want to mention WRC. Uh, they're in uh, Spain this week, and the big news there is 
I said we decided it's Oit. Oit Tanakh. Oit Tanakh. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. We'll be uh, going for his championship, and that would be snapping uh, Sebastian OJ's run of six in a row, which is, I mean, that's one of the great dynasties in sports right now. Well, great and, and Oit almost dropped the ball over the past month. He, yeah. It was it was looking, I mean, OJ, obviously supreme driver, but Oit had it almost wrapped up had he just been consistent, and it's uh, he's, he might eke this one out. Yeah, it's, it got a little closer than he would have liked, but it uh We'll, see, we'll we'll root for him to wrap it up this week in uh, in Spain. Uh, so yeah, anything else this weekend? Any uh, any other races or anything? Anything we should look, take a keep an eye out? The one thing I would say to keep an out an eye out for it's close, but it's not wrapped up yet. World of Outlaws has had a just fantastic championship battle this season. We spotlighted them in the magazine a couple of months ago. Ten um, time champion Donnie Shots has his first real challenge in a long time, and Brad Sweet, who drives for Casey Kane. Um, David Gravel made a run out of it, but he's basically eliminated now. But these what guys a good are, name. Yeah, yeah, for a dirt racer? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, they're separated by 34 points, so that's about 15 positions on the track, four races left to go. So all it's going to take is for Donnie to have one mishap, and then it could go into the Charlotte Motor Speedway World Finals in two weeks with a neck-and-neck championship battle. So this weekend's going to be very important. You could see Brad Sweep wrap, wrap it up. Or if he messes up, Donnie could be the champion. Yeah, uh, Donnie Gravel, his transmission sponsor, Coswell Cogs, would definitely be a, a, a fan of him winning. Wesley, that's beautiful. That's, uh, I think, the best joke of the podcast. And with that, I think it's time to uh, do what we always do at the end of the show. Obviously, we flipped this one for reasons of introducing uh, Patrick and Andy on, uh, into, into your ears. But uh, Motorsports will return to the head of the show in the next episode. Where it um, should be, right? Or it should be always pole posi- the pole position. Always, always in the pole position. Uh, always leading into the show. But uh, thank you, first and foremost, for sticking around with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for going on your friends' devices and downloading the podcast and clicking subscribe on them too. Thank you for uh, using your IT capabilities to download the podcast for every computer. I'm not in your in your in network. I'm not saying you've done the, you've done this, but thank you if you have. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. 